Hello everyone! Welcome aboard to Thundercode's non-profit Digital Voyage, a show where we talk about tech, social and public good, and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Timelia, and I hope everyone can sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If you're ready, let's set sail! And now, on to our episode. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode, and today I'm joined with a guest where, when I ask the friends of this guest, they describe him with a lot of positives, so I will list them out. So, you know, some of the adjectives I would say uh, used to describe this person is jovial, bright, outgoing, extroverted, open-minded, and the one thing that really like captured my attention is that they really... T- they told me about how passionate this, you know, this guest is about the social sector. But you know, I could go on and on about this person. But instead of me doing that, why don't we have the guest introduce himself? Please go ahead. Hi, hi everyone. It's so good to be here. My name is Joel. Uh, yeah, I am quite an outgoing guy. So a bit <laughs> about me is that uh, I am a degree graduate from Sunway Psychology. I'm now going to start uh, my job very soon as a teacher, a primary school teacher. And I'm going to be juggling three subjects at the same time, <laughs> so that's, that, that's crazy. Uh, besides that, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be here and can't wait to yeah, get started on whatever going to happen today. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Um, so, alright, you are a student from Sunway University, so um, I heard that you graduated in December? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So that's very recent, actually. So, um, congratulations. I feel like you know anyone who graduated university, with, like you know, successfully deserves that. <laughs> um, and uh, I also heard that you were um, a part of like the student council. So, that's um, right. can you talk about that a little bit, like how uh, your experience as part of the student council? All right. So in the student council, I was representing the international student body which is quite funny because I am a local student the only (laughs) local student in the international student section of the student council Uh, what what I did was pretty much uh, I would go around talking to the different international students around Sunway right Ah. so there are different organizations and my job is to basically be the bridge between those different groups in Sunway right those different foreign body groups and also with the management I will go for town halls, I will go to listen to their different talks, get to find wow. out who these people are, and then I would bring up the concerns that the international students have to the management during the upper management meetings, all the senior level stuff. Besides organizing events and supporting the overall student body uh, throughout Sunway. Mm, that sounds mm. like a pretty busy life. <laughs> like, how did you like? Was balancing that with like your student life like difficult? How did you find it? It it was crazy. Uh, it, I mean, first straight <laughs> out, like, I had to juggle my student council life with my own student life. Right. And at this time, also, I was also a youth leader uh, in in my church. So I was balancing <laughs> three different uh, things. I think was I the best at balancing it? No, uh, but I balanced it enough just to get by and just to survive for like a year and a half, lah. 
it was a crazy time yeah i mean i mean would you say the experiences that you have you know despite how busy you were would you say it as rewarding though because it sounds like a very crazy you know schedule to lead i suppose yeah yeah it, it is it's crazy but i would definitely say that it is very rewarding hmm. because the hours that you put into this kind of work the the late nights the late days in school and you stay back right all of it comes and it builds towards the common goal of trying to help improve the the livelihoods lah, of people around you and in my case my job and my goal was to really help the international students in Sunway University right so, yeah it's, at the end of the day I know that hey I made a difference you know or even if it's a small difference I made a step towards helping the situation become better in Sunway right right mm. and also well I was I was talking to you know your friend who recommended you to be mm. a guest on the show he was, she was talking about like oh Joel's the kind of guy who's like very active he he does a lot of things and not to mention that he he's the type of person who has a lot of connections <laughs> so I want to ask her like what do you mean by that so when she said then she said oh he knows a lot of people so <laughs> so would you say that <laughs> uh yes yes definitely I, I had this joke in some way where every single day I would walk in campus, right? There right. isn't one day where I would go without saying hi to someone I know from somewhere else. So I would randomly say hi to a person, not because it's random, because I know them from like, whether it's outside of school, whether it's from like a sports activity, or right. a church activity, or like a social welfare activities. Like I would somehow know them. And then, yeah, <laughs> my friend would always complain, like, oh, you gotta stop saying hi to everyone. <laughs> Yeah, like it's not like you know I'm trying to be funny, you know. It's just like I know them. Yeah, it's not. Was... It's not a bad thing, I would say. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you. Oh, wow, that sounds like wow. But like, um, you know, like from my own personal experiences, like you know, university, like when you're in university, you know a lot of people. Has there been a an experience where someone says hi to you, and then you say hi back automatically, but then you think to yourself, do I know this person? And why do they know me? You know, has that ever happened to you, or you just know them? Se- several times, I, a lot of times, when they say hi to me first, and then I will say hi, and then I'll blank out my mind because I will have to search the the deepest <laughs> corners of my head to who is this person, what is their name, and how do I know them? Your uh, directory. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have to I have to go and search through my brain. Uh, but whenever I, I I approach this kind of situation, I just stop them. I'll try and catch up with how they're doing at the moment. And then from okay. there, I see, oh, this person is doing this now. They mean somewhere before they were, oh, okay, okay. Then I draw the lines. <laughs> yeah, that oh, helps me. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I mean, I'm sure, you know, uh, knowing a lot of people is, it has its own set of advantages, I would say. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, moving on. Um, you also have, like, a YouTube channel um, that, you know... I was I I managed to check it out. It goes by um, it's actually your own name, correct? The yeah, name yeah. I, I changed it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, when did you start it, and like, like why did you start a YouTube channel essentially? So for me, I started off my YouTube channel initially as a place for me to just create whatever I want. So mm. primarily, most of what I created was just uh, song covers because I like to sing. I like to play guitar and music instruments, so I would do covers. And then as the years came by, I had different video projects. So I would work with different groups of people or different companies to help me with videos. 
So I've worked with Keller Williams Malaysia. Wow. I've worked with Happy Arc. I've worked with Oasis Place. So different places. They were asking me to make different videos, and mm-hmm. then I thought, oh yeah, this is a great place to at least showcase some of the videos. And yeah, it just became a place for me to just share my experiences in video format, lah. I see. Um, do you have like a I don't know what's the correct word for this? Do you have like a vision to how your YouTube channel is gonna grow in the future, or is it more like a hobby kind of thing? Would you say? For me, it started off as a hobby. Right. I think for me now, it's just to there are two things in my mind. I guess it's just to number one, I want my YouTube channel to be something I can look back. On and be like, hey, I did this, you know, between my five or seven years ago, and like I, I have progressed from this level of videos to this level of videos. Right, That's one goal right. to show that I've grown. And the other goal for me is just to, I wanna give back by giving advice. So my idea is like, I wanna give tips. I wanna give input, inputs, insights into the future for those who are like curious or scared. Mm. And and a lot of it is based off uh my 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 youth group because I I I lead a bunch of teenagers in my church and right, um, right. pretty much a lot of the things I do tends to be based on them. So my thoughts would be okay. Right now my youth are seventeen years old. They are either in SPM or they're going to be in college soon. So how can mm. I best prepare them? And so I would do a lot of my videos, a lot of my thoughts based on these. Yeah. It's like I'm an uncle, lah. I'm a dead uncle, but like you know, I'm twenty two. So yeah, that that that's just how I roll with it, lah. Uh, I mean, in, when you describe like you want to be the kind of person who can give advice to people, I guess like to guide them in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. does this have anything to do with the fact that you know you're gonna work as a teacher? <laughs> how, yeah, does that have anything to do with that? Like, did you want to become a teacher with this in mind, or did it just happen? <laughs> Well, the the teacher job wasn't something that you know I was set on from doing. It was my degree stuff. Right. For me, the teacher job it started off as uh, an opportunity because I'll be working in Johor as a teacher, and right. at the same time too, right? Because I'm I'm from KL. I'm gonna go Johor. Uh, I'll be staying with my grandparents. So the idea is that when I work as a teacher in Johor for the next mm. two years or so, I will be staying with my grandparents. I'll get to spend time with them. Because they're they're quite old, they're eighty, eighty five, and they're in their latest stages of their life. So I thought mm. one of the ways that I could give back to them or to really appreciate them is to you know stay with them, spend time with them. You know, at the same time working as a teacher, right? Getting to work with youths again, and getting to work with music is like oh, this is a very nice bonus. As in, it it catches the most of my my hopes lah for what I want to do in the future. Wow, that sounds really impressive. <laughs> As it, it sounds like you really put a lot of thought into that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to well, it's not easy to relocate from your house to a land where it's a smaller town, smaller city, less ah, people, right. and yeah, the overall population at least in this town, Kulam, uh, they're generally Chinese speaking, and I am a uh-huh. banana, so that's like the <laughs> huge challenge for me. How how has that been for you so far? So far, I think I survived China. The fact that I survived China right. for a month by myself, with only my host, like the the founders of the organization I was working for, right. spoke English.、Hmm. I think after the experience, I anything is possible. Yeah, it's interesting when you say about you know 
when you're moving to like a bigger city to a smaller one. Um, I can sort of like relate to that, but for my situation, it's actually reversed because I'm actually from Sarawak. And oh. the city that I'm living is a very, uh, it's the main city of that state, but it's, it's actually kind of sleepy. I, w- I always joke to my friends, like, the city that we, uh, the hometown that we live in is a place where we, people go to retire. Because <laughs> it's really sleepy. And then I moved to, you know, KL, and it's very, like, it's very different, and it's very, definitely more busy, I would say. So, mm. I can definitely relate to that, you know, changing of environments. It's just like in the opposite direction, I would say. <laughs> You're from Kuching, is it? Yes. Ah, uh, nice, nice. My mom from Miri, so I can totally uh, understand. The pace difference. It's like, right. everything's so slow. Come back here, everything's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast. just like, oh, okay. Everyone's so yeah. fast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... Uh, I guess before we move on, do you want to like do a little shout out of your channel here in this podcast, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my channel is Joel Wong. You know, I, I do life, I do life once at a time. So if you are curious to what I do in my free time or what I'm, I'm going through, then yeah, head on to Joel Wong. That's pretty much the name of the channel. Yeah. <laughs> One day, if you change it, let me know so I can update this channel. <laughs> sure, sure. We'll do, we'll do, definitely. Alright, so anyway, um, to segue into like sort of like the main topic of today's episode, um, you mentioned briefly about Happy Art when we mm. were talking about your YouTube channel. So as I understand, um, you know, Happy Art is like a volunteering project that you, a program project that you took part in uh, in China. Maybe right. you would like to like talk about it, like what is it exactly, and when did you participate in it? Uh, okay, can sure. So Happy Arc is run by two Malaysians, uh, Diane and Martin. Uh, they are from Johor also, and they basically moved to China uh, to wow. start this program. So the idea of the program, it's it's a two well, it's a, the main focus is to provide free tuition for the uh, underprivileged in Kunming. Their city is like you imagine a square, it's a big square, right? In the middle of the square is the poor people, the poor, the the the, the, the low cost housing. Outside yeah. this tiny square is all the big tall buildings, the apartments, the very well developed. Wow. So it's a very interesting city because outside it's developed, and you go into the central area, it becomes less developed, it becomes more like, um, yeah, urban poor. Mm. So the idea was that you know some of these kids, um, they struggle in school, and one way that the government can give back is to open this tuition center. So they can come in at any time for help with tuition, to read books, to play games. Basically like a community for the poor right. kids in the area. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how you describe the city as in like, like the outer areas I would say is like developed and then when you go closer inside it gets like the, like the, like you mentioned like people are more less privileged I would say. Is that the correct term for that? Uh, sort of. Technically, there are people that come from outside the, the city right. and they travel in and they know to stay. So the most convenient place to stay is in the middle, which is like cheapest but also urban pool, right? It's not right. very developed. That's yeah. like that's very like because usually when you talk about like you know urban cities, it's usually the other way around. Like the, the city center is more developed, and then when you go out, it's like the development is kind of like it it differs. How did it end up to be like the opposite direction? <laughs> How say. did it end up? Uh, What's I'm the not, history behind it? 
I, I think there was a history behind it. I'm not very sure, too sure exactly how, but I do know that um, it used to be a certain sector of the city. Right? The whole city used to be like low developed, right? And then this right. part was like a market area, low cost area. And mm-hmm. then as the city developed, this part just stayed the same. Like it didn't oh. continue developing because like the market was there, all the smaller shops were there, all the smaller houses were there. So they just continued to remain there while the other parts of the city around it started to develop. Oh, that's yeah. very interesting. Mm. Definitely look it up later. This sounds like an interesting read. <laughs> um, uh, when exactly did you? Uh, sorry, when did you join this program? And like, how did you first hear about it? Ah, okay. So how? Well, I'll start from how I heard about it. Right. Basically, my dad is um he he donates to this group called Wycliffe. And one of the people that we keep supporting is Martin and Diane mm. in China. So right. basically heard about these two Malaysians in China running this organization. Right. And pretty much he was like, Hey Joel, you know, if there's a chance to go to China, would you want to go to China? And without thinking twice, I just said yes. <laughs> and and a month later, I met the people who were running the program in Malaysia. Right. And said hey, it was August, I think August of 2018, oh. I flew to China. Wow. Yeah. Just before the big pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Just before the, the major pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, how many people were in that program? Was it just you or is it with a group of like students or...? Uh, so how the program worked was that there are five full-time staff in Happy Arc. And they are all right. either, I mean, they're all workers uh, who have, uh, are being employed under the government, right? Mm. And these five, they will coordinate and they will collaborate with the different universities and colleges around the Kunming area. Because how it works is that the, the university, so there's like a degree for social services in China. That's, a, that's an actual degree. And so these <laughs> students will come over to this wow, art to volunteer their time. And oh. not just these students, but there will also be different schools from overseas. So some of the schools that come like from Singapore, Singapore will set a, a group of their college students, I mean, like their poly students, into this area like uh, for their cultural exchange volunteers. Right. Right, right, right. So there's only five main volunteers, but there's actually a lot of other volunteers, uh, five main workers, but a lot of volunteers will come in to help with mm. the tuition and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like an ongoing pro- uh, program, I'm assuming. Like mm, ongoing. Do people like go like sign up? Do people like sign up by batches, or is it like whenever it's uh, convenient? I guess most most times they're usually in groups, um, usually either by their university or by their college. So right, right. organizes it for them. Right. I, I was just the the lone guy. The one guy who decided to come all the way to China just to... The to lone work. guy. Yeah. So most times they always repair like a whole group area for to stay in all, but I was just like, hey, one guy coming over. I mean, but, you know, given how outgoing you are, I'm assuming that you didn't have much trouble like mixing around. Or am I wrong? Uh, Kind of. I, I think for me, to mix around, mixing around the first week or so was very difficult. Because ah. like, in China, their Chinese is very different from Malaysia. Right, like, right, their, right. Their H's and their all their... A lot of throat. 
a lot of throat kind of pronunciation. Us in Malaysia, we use a different type of Chinese. So that was like the first language barrier.、Uh. And second of all, I don't speak Chinese that much. So、right. I I literally had to hold a dictionary with me wherever I went. <laughs> I had one hand a dictionary of my phone, and another hand it was like a small notepad for me to write down the words you know,、oh、as I went along. Because I was like lost for the first week. I had no idea what I was doing. Can, what can, I say was yeah English. <laughs> can, you English char- yeah. can you read the characters? No. Uh, I like the the phone dictionary has a camera where I can take pictures of the words and、ah, then translate.、Ah, so that saves me. That really that saves kind me. That kind of thing. But how did you like communicate with the people then? Like, is it like you point to the dictionary and like, is it like, is the dictionary sort of like your intermediary of the the communication or something like that? Sort sort of yeah. So what I did was before I ask any question, I will go to the dictionary. I will make sure I have the sentence in my head prepared. Like, so I will go look for the words and I will come up. <laughs> To the people in charge, I'm like, hey, I, I need help with this, or how do I do this? And then they will look at me funny. It's like, what are you talking? Then I point the dictionary to them. They're like, oh, that's what you mean. Okay, yeah. Ah,、uh, but then okay. I mean, I I can sort of relate to that because like um, you know, speaking like when you go to a foreign country, you don't speak the you don't speak the language. You often like prepare beforehand. You know, the sentence you want to say before you ask it. But the common problem, at least for me, is that you're not. Often prepared to what they will reply to you back, and whether you understand it or not. <laughs> did you manage? To, did you face this problem? Uh, yeah, definitely. The first week, it, 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 the first week was the hardest, and then because no one else spoke English there, so after a week of just constantly listening and observing、right. and just absorbing it, then I began to understand it a lot better. Yeah, because I had, I really did have a chance to like English out with anybody else. At my at the organization, so when you're alone, when you are by yourself in language wise, and it it, it feels it becomes like a survival instinct. Right. I had to absorb whatever I can. So I don't speak out like a salt tongue forever. Okay. I just say I absorb everything just to. Oh, okay. I roughly get this whole entire story now. Oh, this word I heard it before. Okay, I roughly understand what's happening. Yeah.、Mm. So would you say your Chinese language skill definitely improved since you got back? Well, a few years ago, though. So yeah, it, it was like three, four years ago. It improved, but it's not relevant because the Chinese in China is for them. Whereas the Chinese in Malaysia is more, I, I would say, at least in KL, it's more Cantonese influence, it's more Malaysian influence.、Right. So whatever you learn there, you, you speak here. You know, a lot of Malaysians won't get it. But I came back from China. I tried to speak Chinese to my parents. And they were like, "Joel, nobody in Malaysia uses these words. It's such <laughs> weird Chinese." Oh so my god! Like, like, okay, the, the simplest example is like, okay, in Malaysia, we call a bicycle "jiaocher," which is "leka." That、like, that translation. Well,、okay. in China, you don't call it "jiaocher," you call it "tusingcher." So when I said like, you know, "tusingcher," they're like, "Oh, bicycle," but, but no one says it here. But nice try, nice try, yeah. <laughs> That was like eighty percent of my conversation with them. It's like I tried to speak Chinese, like nope, we don't use it here. And then after time, it just fade away. I mean, at least you can find comfort in the fact that, like, even for even if someone who's fluent in Chinese goes to China, there's a chance that they couldn't like communicate well as well. So you're not alone in that sense. Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> All right. So um. So Happy Art, can you like,、uh, how long were you in China? Like, how was how long was that program for you actually?、Uh, I was there for one month, so from August to September. Ah, and、um, can you walk us through like what's every like your day to day during that program? 
So what happens is, um, so <coughs> I'll, I'll take public transport every day, about an hour <coughs> and a half, to get to the school. Uh, so that means like I have to walk like half an hour, take a bus for forty minutes, and then walk another ten, fifteen, twenty minutes to the the school. So, by yourself? Yeah, by myself. Oh my god! Okay, the first the first two days, one of the volunteers came to my my area, and then she traveled with me. And after the third day or so, I had to travel by myself. So I really just went to everything. Was it nerve wracking? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of nerve wracking. But like I said, because it was a survival instinct, right. if you're less nervous and walk, I need to do this so that I don't like get lost or die. <laughs> I die and I get lost, right? you know, I am actually lost. <laughs> so once I get to the school, it's like 8am, I think mm. it's 8am, 8 then we'll spend the first hour cleaning the school. So the school is like, um, you can imagine it's the size of three shop lots or two shop lots, three shop lots, and it's two stories. So ground floor and first floor. Okay. So the ground floor, there's like three rooms, a library, a board games room, and another study room. And then the second floor is the whole tuition area. So there are mm. like a bunch of long tables to so, so sit down on those typical wooden stools and they do the work. So the first hour of the day, hour and a half, would be us cleaning the rooms. So you'll sweep the floor, you'll mop the floor, you'll clean the toilets, you arrange the books. Right. That's what we did. And then around 10 o'clock, 10 to 12, is when um, we would usually... So there are some earlier, there are some preschool kids. So like the ones who are between like 4 to 6, mm. they will come early in the morning for like a bit of like kindergarten. That's a kid. <laughs> so they'll come and then we'll just play with them and also teach them. Uh, then we'll play with the teacher, prepare some materials for the, the students. Mm. Uh, and sometimes also we'll do this thing called house visitations. So the parents in the area are urban poor, correct? And they would ask for help or they would require like financial, assist, financial assistance or food assistance. And so how this organization validates it is that they will go over to the parents' house they would visit the, the house and they would see what it's like and whether this family actually needs help from the government. Right. So so that, that would take about two hours, an hour and a half because what will happen is that you have to walk from the school to the house, which takes about like 20 minutes. And once you reach the house, right, they live in those low-cost apartments that's like seven stories tall. Seven stories, there's no lift. You have to walk up every single stairs. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so one, one, one day you can visit two houses, right? So you go to the top. So one of the houses I went to was, they were on the top of the roof. Oh, right? my God. <laughs> and there was no actual roof. It was just your typical, you know all those kampongs with the metal rooftops? Ah. Right? So this auntie's mother, she physically built it with her husband. Just like four or five different like metal bars. They just put the roof there. The toilet is just literally one hole. It's like you would think it's a kampong, but then you realize that you're on the rooftop of a seven-story building. Wait, and, so it's not a yeah. unit, but they really live on the rooftop. Yeah, they live on the rooftop. They literally make shift their way on the rooftop. Oh my god. So they got the portable stove, they got their 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 walls is the same thing, metal sheets. Oh it's not even like god. wall walls, metal sheets. So they just stay there. Like there's four of them sleeping in one small area. So that that was the kind of poor that uh, was living in this area, lah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's really like I cannot imagine it. Because when you mention it, it's like metal walls, like 
Like I can't imagine like if the temperature is like really hot or is it really cold. I can't imagine like the it really absorbs the. Oh my god, I cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kunming oh. is a city of uh, forever autumn, so the ah. temperature around the whole year is usually between like twenty one. Oh, just nice. Like fifteen, fifteen. Yeah. Um, Towards the colder side of it. Yeah, it's quite cold still, uh, I would say. But I mean, mm. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so that we're now only at lunch time, by the way. So you're at lunch time. <laughs> at lunch time, I'll eat your lunch, and then by one thirty, one thirty, two thirty, the kids will start coming from school. So they'll start walking, they'll start from the bus, they come come to the place, and then from like at two thirty to four thirty, the two hours is just free tuition. So you sit wherever you want. The kids come down, and then they just ask for help with their homework. Mm. Not like how do I do it, but you know, like teacher, how I, I don't know what to do. Can you simply understand? Or the other times, some of the kids who have done their homework already will go down to the library to read books, or they will go to the board games room and play board games with their friends.、Mm. So this was pretty much what will happen lor every day when they all finish at four thirty. They all leave, and then we will have to clean up again. So we just put up the chairs,、uh, clean all the rooms, clean all the books. And then prepare for the next day.、Yeah. Okay. Um. Because it sounds to me that 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 place isn't actually a school. It's more like, like a study hall. I would say. Would you say that? Hmm. A study hall with events. <laughs> okay. So there's some there, there's some weekends where like, um, the teachers or the students who volunteer,、uh. they will organize their own programs. They they create programs like character building or、um. music classes. So for example, Saturday, 10 a.m. Okay, we're gonna do like a two-hour workshop on how to or character building, right? What is hardworking? What is kindness? And then they'll program、wow. a whole program. So, yeah, I guess it's more like a community hall in a sense, study hall with events, lor. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, like people like because when you say like students to go, they go there like to like do their homework or whatever. But then you mentioned you also mentioned like some students are already done with their homework, so they、mm. just go there to go to the library or play board games. So like, is it like a place where they can like stop? But like, how do I say this? Like, um, how are like, uh, are their parents working in this time frame while they're there? Is it something like a a place they stop by while they're waiting for their parents or something like that?、Mm. Like, what what are main what are the main reasons people usually go there lah?、Like, essentially. The the main reasons is I think one of it is correct. Yes,、um, you mentioned it. Parents are working. Parents usually、uh-huh. work between six seven, right? And these students finish school around two, so that's five hours, four hours of free time.、Mm-hmm. And like you know, one way to I mean, in a sense, help provide a safe space, a, a good environment is to for study halls like this, lah, right? It's like a、uh-huh. chill place for the students to come, and it's it's a good and safe environment because it's it's by the government. The collaboration with the Chinese government,、uh, and it's there. Number two is also, I guess, it's just to create a community, lah. To really create a safe community where, you know, parents, for example, don't have to worry about the kids running off doing crime, because they're five free hours after school, and their parents <laughs> are in the home. Yeah, it's like five hours at home as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old. That's like a, a hazard, you know, like a danger、that's, hazard, because a lot of things can go wrong. That's true. They、so、can、cool. run off and do crimes, as you say. Let me begin. Let me. They could be stealing. They could be vandalizing stuff. I mean,、uh, a lot of things can happen in the the. I mean, the more poorer section of the city, lah. Ah.、Uh, yeah. Okay. 
But um, because uh, you mentioned also, I mean, just to bring up a previous concern, like because you you like communication was still like an issue by then, mm. right? So how do you like assist students when you like there's a whole like barrier between you? So usually, all what happens is that because my main language is English, right. I would be the English tutor for the sense, <laughs> right? So pronouncing words. Reading words. How do you say certain words? Um. They ask me, like teacher, teacher. How do I say this word? Or teacher, teacher. How do I read this sentence? So I'll be the one. Or teacher, what does this English word mean? And then I would translate to them with um. a dictionary in hand, lah. <laughs> like, hey, you know, might as well. You're, you're like a, you're like a speak, you're like a speaking dictionary at this point. <laughs> speaking dictionary and yeah, like a like a friend lah to them. Like sometimes they will be like, you know, they are all friends. I'm like, hey teacher, can you play with me? Or hey teacher, can can I talk to you for a bit? Half the time I don't understand what I'm talking about. Right. But they're just like, <laughs> they, they share their story, share their day with me, and it's like, oh, that's nice, that's nice. And they they leave feeling so happy, like someone listened to them. So they might have come uh-huh. from like you know places where their parents are too busy to listen to them, but they have this older brother in this space where he listen to you. Yeah. So, yeah. You know? That's that's true. That's true. Mm. Um, so like when you when you like, I guess like when you first sign up for this program, right? Did you come mm. in with like maybe like expectations of your own? And if you did, like how how would you compare with like you know how things really went in that program? So my expectations were quite high. Not expectations <laughs> of myself. So I I I went in so genuinely the most honest part is I went in. I could say quite proudly because I thought, you know, hey, I'm going to help these people. I'm going to, I'm going to make videos. I'm, I'm going to really, uh, you know, do the best I can in this place, right? Right. But when I got there, I realized that actually I can't because number one, language is a barrier. Mm. Number two, it's not about how well I can help. It's it's more about how well I can, you know, assist their needs. Right. So it wasn't about it wasn't about the best way I wanted to help. It was when I went there. So I I went in the expectation of the best way I wanted to help. But also when I went there, I realized that I need to learn the best way that they want help. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. So it's like, I think a lot of times it's like you know you want to do a, you want to fix a problem, you want to solve a solution, right? You're right. always thinking of hey, how can I best do this? You know, how can I do the best way I think is correct? But also right, in this situation, because right. I'm working with people, it's right, not about right. what I can best do. It's about what they really need. So right. that that was the the reality that hit me when I was there, and I, and it it, it always hits me like every single time I work with other people, or I work with different, you know, NGOs, right? It's always mm. not about me, but I need to listen and find out what they need help with so that I can be of their assistance. Right, right. Yeah. So it's it's less of like, oh, what can I do, and it's more like how what how can I fulfill their needs? Is is that would you say that? Mm-hmm. But but I feel I feel like it's a mixture of both, don't you think? It, it is a mixture of both. I mean, when you are, I mean, you are more in a better position, right? If you know the language, if you are very aware of the culture, if you're very aware of the situation, right? Then right. yes, definitely, you you are able to leverage on your own abilities more. Mm. In, in my case, I mean, it's like I don't really have a lot of of leverage. Here. I don't have a lot of power that I can really put into this, because my my entry point is very low. I don't have a lot of ability to communicate. I don't have the best 
way to like really you know um put into it so it's like okay be more attentive be more i guess be more receptive uh, to what's happening around me so that i don't you know blindly try and fix a problem or try to invest in something that doesn't really matter to them kind of thing right right that's true that's true yeah. um ha so how did you come out like when when the program is done and you're back to Malaysia how did you feel about the program like um, aside from what you've already mentioned just now anything mm. else that you've learned throughout your time in China I think in China one thing it's taught me is that um, to really I, okay I, I cannot I, I, uh, I don't mean to include but to not give a crap about what others might think of what you're doing mm. so in, in this sense it's not being like ignorant to the world It's right, more right. of like, you know, if you want to do something, if you want to help the community, if you want to go to a place that no one's been, don't like, don't be too overly concerned about what everyone uh, fears for you. If you know what you want to do, in my case, I really wanted to experience a new culture. And at the same time too, I wanted to give back whatever I could, right? Mm. And just do it. Because it's, it's like, and the, when you arrive to that point, the, the, the point of time, the situation when you're in that, face right those right. opinions that people will have of you they'll become like like just air right so it's, like, you know, it's, it's mostly in your head once you get there it's about how you know you are going to make a difference mm. yeah that was one of the biggest takeaways besides the fact that yeah uh, other poverty in, in China is like wow very very different and it's crazy yeah <laughs> yeah I can I can I mean I can imagine just like from the way you described it I was like that's nothing I've experienced before because you know I I've, I've 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 also been to China for a volunteering project but it's, it's for it's under university um I'm not sure if you heard of Isaac Ah yes Isaac yeah yes, I, I yeah. See, right Yeah so I went to China to do that and um like you I cannot speak Chinese <laughs> so like when you said you 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 had troubles communicating with the people I I I just had flashbacks at the time where like <laughs> but, but you know thankfully for me I had like a host who's always there with me so when there's like translation needs they can like you know help me because like mm. I guess like my biggest disadvantage is that um I I can't speak Chinese and I don't I also didn't grow up in like a in an environment that would like expose me to more Chinese speaking you know people mm-hmm. I guess so uh, picking out the language was a lot harder for me so yeah but you know your experiences really brought back really fond memories and I think like your advices as well it kind of yeah it really applies to what if, yeah my experience as well and um, I actually you know I actually do want to hear more about your volunteering experiences in us outside of happy art but unfortunately we're um We're running out of time. So um, before that, uh, I have two things. Uh, Happy Art is, is still ongoing, correct? Happy Art is still ongoing in China. Right. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, with the current pandemic, I'm assuming there's no opportunity for us to actually... It's, right. uh, it's very limited. Actually, you know, it's almost impossible. Right. Because, yeah. Yeah, considering. But let's say lah, in the near, in the future, like things are okay-ish, and then they can, you know, we can go there again. Would you recommend people join this program? Definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. I I would recommend to go in a group, and <laughs> and, and, and to go with uh, an open mind lah. Right. Because it's a very, 
the eye-opening experience. Especially for Malaysians, you know, you want cooler weather, it's there. You want to experience different culture, it's there. You want to live on a low cost, you can even sleep in the school or sleep in the study hall. Uh. <laughs> yeah, like literally, it, it's a cheap, low-cost holiday that you get to serve the community. To yeah, everybody. that's true, that's true. You're like killing two birds with one stone. Right, yeah. Right. Um, right, so uh, to end things off, I guess, um, like I said, I did want to hear more about your volunteering experiences, but we don't have time for that. So um, instead, like maybe do you have like any word of advice to anyone who might, you know, they want to join the social sector and they want to be more involved in the community service, but they don't know, you know, how, where to start, how to go about it and what to feel about it. Do you have any advice, you know, on your end? Yeah, I think I do. I think the first step for anybody who wants to serve or who wants to find out what's happening in the social sector, right? It's to just search it up, like Instagram. There are so many places that uh, you know that, that provides this kind of services. So Heidi Kwaf, one of the example, refugees, right. refugees. It's a it's a very prominent uh, place. You know, like it doesn't only have to be people. It could also be, um, I think it's called pause. Like if you want to help stray animals, right? Technically, it's technically serving out to. You search on Instagram or you search on Google just for like. NGOs, right? You definitely will find a few. You find the Instagram page, you find their Facebook page, and then if you think like, oh, it's just what they post, you know, how do I know whether it's it's really something, right? Mm-hmm. For the tag posts, look for look for people who have been there, who have written their experiences, because I tell you, that's the most raw sense that you're gonna ever find out from them. Right. That's one thing, right? And the second thing is, uh, if you, I mean. Getting into these kind of things, right? You don't really need to be a hero. You don't really need to be like someone that's like a PhD or like a doctorate or like you know some doc that doc you know, to go in and help. Like, mm-hmm. Anybody can help as long as you are open-minded enough and you are willing to, you know, in a sense, humble yourself to really serve however they need help with. Yeah, I think these two will be the most important because once you have these two in mind, you're informed and you're willing to serve, right? Everything else in helping out in these areas, right, will flow smoothly. That's a very beautiful way to say it. <laughs> you have a way with words. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I I will I will definitely keep that in mind as well. You know, for my own personal, you know, just thinking. It's, yeah, like I said, it's a very beautiful way of saying it. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> All right. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um. You know, unfortunately, we've already reached the end of our time, so um, mm-hmm. that's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for you know joining me with this conversation, and you know I hope like l- the listeners find it as beneficial as I did. Before we like end things off, do you have anything else you want to say? You know, I, I I I think to close it off, I think for me or uh, for anybody listening to this talk, I think it's it's really it's a really good experience to to serve uh, also at least at one point in your life. To give back to the community, because I think when you are more in touch with the people around you, you're more aware, right? Especially, I mean, if you come from a more privileged background, right. you tend to appreciate the things around you way more. That's yeah. true. That's true. So, like, give give it a shot. You know, if it's a good or bad experience, don't worry too much. But at least if you've given something a shot, you try something new, right? I guarantee you, nine out of ten times, you won't regret. The one out of ten times probably is you know something really bad goes wrong. Uh, besides that, you know, it usually almost is a positive experience to all positive learning point. So don't be afraid to try. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 
All right. So, you know, thank you once again. And I also want to thank our listeners for, you know, joining in. And I hope to see you in the next episode. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a whole lot to us. You can also head over to our website, thundercode.org, to gain access to our free digital resources. See you next time!